Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. I'm going to read from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. It came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel. So this is Nehemiah. He's just a little average Joe. He's just an, a normal, ordinary Jewish boy. He's in Shushan, which is in Persia. He's been taken um, captive to a foreign land, but he's got an amazing job. He's the cupbearer. He brings the wine to the king. He's got access to the very king, but we're going to read that in a moment. So I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. Hey, Hanani, how are you doing, buddy? Fine. How's everything in Judah? I asked him concerning the Jews who had escaped and who had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. So many of the Jews have gone back to Jerusalem to try and rebuild it and rebuild the temple. They have succeeded in rebuilding the temple, which is like the identity of the Israelite nation. But the city, still the walls and the gates are broken down. So he asked Hanani, how's it going? And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Proverbs 25, 28 says, if a person can't control their own spirit, they are like a city with the walls broken down and the whole city is broken down. And this is a picture. We're doing a series of sermons where we look at the city of Jerusalem, which is also going to be a picture of heaven where we're going to live forever. But the application is this, dear friends. If you don't get the foundations and the walls and the gates of your life built according to God's plan, you will be in distress and reproach. How many of us know of a Christian, or maybe it's you or someone in your family, they are a Christian. They've asked Jesus into their heart. They love God, but because they're not thinking right, because they're not acting right, it's like the, the walls are broken down and their life is in distress and reproach. And Nehemiah, this amazing young man, got a vision from God. It says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept and mourned. For many days I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And we're going to read about his prayer a little bit later. Right through the book of Nehemiah, he just prays and prays and prays. But we're going to look at Nehemiah, who moved out of Shushan, this opulent, beautiful, luxuriant city, and went back to this place which was in ruin, desolation, walls and gates burned with fire. There's no security. People can't bring up a family. Their children aren't safe. They can't plan for their future. They have no financial security. They have no identity, and they are vulnerable to enemies. He goes from comfortable Shushan in the king's palace to back to Jerusalem to rebuild, and with God's help, he does it. He really does. In 52 days, he built the walls and the gates, and in Nehemiah chapter 8, there is rejoicing. The people start to weep because they're so emotional. Look, it's actually worked. We built the gates. But then he says to them, the joy of the Lord is your strength, and there's a security. There's an identity. A city can be built. A future can be planned. Prosperity can happen. Uh, there are gates. So it's not all just keeping enemies out. 
The walls are there to keep enemies out. You know, we need walls in our lives. Anybody who says, I don't need walls, I'm open to anything and everyone. Any idea, any practice, I'll try anything once. I'm open-minded. That person is like a city broken down without walls because some of those things that we let in damage us, amen? So a wall protects us, but there are gates. And the gates let things in and out. And in Nehemiah chapter 3, there are 10 gates mentioned. The sheep gate, the fish gate, and he goes on through all 10 of them. And on one of these sermons, I'm going to go through those 10 gates and show you how we need to let the things that God wants in. We need a foundation, we need walls, but we need gates, and we need a Nehemiah. Every one of us. I need a Nehemiah and you need a Nehemiah. It's a person who guides and, and kind of oversees the building. A pastor, a shepherd. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul the Apostle says, I am a master builder. And that's the Greek word where we get the word architect from. We need a pastor who looks over and they've got the gift from God. They're not better than anyone else, but they say, brother or sister, you need to build a wall there. Your foundation is weak there because none of us can get it all on our own. We need each other. I need other people. We need each other. And Nehemiah goes at the end of chapter 2 and he, he does a spying out of the land at night around Jerusalem. He's gone from opulent, wonderful palace to broken down, burned Jerusalem. And he starts walking around and he looks, wow, it's broken there. It's broken there. Look at that. Wow. And then he gathers the people. And in Nehemiah chapter 3, each of them, he tells them how to build and where to build. And each family builds in front of their own house. And because they all do it together, the city is built up and the walls and the gates are built strong. And there is life. Friend, I want to tell you, God has a plan for your life to prosper you and to give you a hope and a future. But it comes with being willing to say, God, I'm going to build walls and I'm going to build according to your plans. You are the architect, God, not what I think. I'm not open to everyone's ideas. God, you tell me. And when we build according to God's plans, we see order, peace, joy, security. I can testify to it. Have you ever heard the saying, if you want to know how to use something, ask the person who made it. Go to the, go to the instruction manual from the manufacturer. God knows how you and I should live, how you personally should live. If you open yourself to everything the world says is good, it will hurt you. It hurt me until I started realizing how to do walls and gates. Your family. The world has an idea of how a family should run, a marriage and children and in-laws. God has a plan for your family. Friend, get the idea, get the message from God and then start building the walls of your family. You'll see great peace and joy come out of it. You'll see a place of a refuge instead of a place of panic and insecurity. And then for our city, for Jersey, for our nation, for our church, for other places. Everything that God wants to build, He calls it to be like a city. But now I want to talk about prayer. Verse 4 says, So when, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah was a man of prayer, but he was also the cupbearer 
to the king. And in chapter 2, it says, It came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Why is he doing that? He has an amazingly trusted position. He is the cupbearer, which basically means the person who dies if anyone poisons the king. He goes before the king and he takes the wine and he drinks it and the king watches him. And if he's still alive, the king says, okay, I'll drink that wine. And every single time the king drinks anything, Nehemiah is in his presence. You know, of all the thousands, millions of people in the Persian kingdom under the rule of this king Artaxerxes, nobody gets access to the king. Even the queen wasn't allowed in most of his meetings. It was an extremely uh, difficult thing to get into the presence of the king. And Nehemiah was there in his presence, and not just in his presence, trusted and close and intimate and drinking the same wine as the king. And we find out later that he was able to share his heart with the king, and the king shared his heart with him. And this is important because you have a trusted position. You know, Abraham was called the friend of God. In several places in the Bible, it's called, Abraham is called the friend of God. And in Genesis 18, God wants to protect Abraham and his family from the effects of sin in Sodom and Gomorrah nearby. And he says, shall I tell Abraham what I'm planning to do? And he tells him and he has a discussion with Abraham. And Abraham says, but Lord, if there's 50, will you still destroy the city? If there's 40 good people, if there's 30? And eventually he took the six righteous out of Sodom and Gomorrah before he destroyed the city. But the point is, Abraham was the friend of God. He was in a trusted intimate position with God, and God calls you and I his friends. In John 15, 15, Jesus said, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends because you know my business. There's an intimacy. Of all the, the universe that God controls, you and I, because of the blood of Jesus in our lives, are allowed to go into the presence of the King and discuss with him and listen to his thoughts, and he listens to our thoughts. Friend, if you're trying to build a city in your family, you need to use this privilege of prayer. Amen? We need to use it. We have the privilege of being able to go into the throne room of the king, and he listens, and he tells us his heart. And you would be a fool not to use it. Because when you use it, you can build the walls and the kingdom of uh, the city of God very, very powerfully. So, let's read on. Now, I, I had never been sad in his presence before. Then, therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of the heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. And I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, very, very quick prayers going on there, arrow prayers, help, help God. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, friend, you are favored. 
You remember when the angel Gabriel came to Mary, he said, you are highly favored and God wants to put his spirit on you. The Bible says you, because of Christ, are favored. Ephesians chapter 1 says we are favored by God. You have favor. You say, I don't deserve it. I'm not a good person. I don't go to church every week. I don't know the Bible. He says, it's not because of you. I've covered you in robes of righteousness. And the blood of Jesus makes you favored. When God sees you, he smiles. Do you remember Isaac and Jacob? Jacob tricked his father and he went and covered in Isaac's clothes. And his father smelt. And he said, ah, the smell of the son that I love. When you go into your father in heaven's presence, he smells Jesus, and he says, the smell of the son that I love. You are favored. You have access. Then the king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him, this could have been Queen Esther. Esther was not Artaxerxes' wife, but she could have been his mother or his mother-in-law or his stepmother. We're not exactly sure. But many commentators believe this queen was Esther, the Jewess who had a, a heart towards the Jews and who wanted to protect the Jews. And the, the reason it says in brackets there, the queen was sitting there, was very unusual for the queen to be present when these things happened. It's very likely that it was Queen Esther. Then the king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And when will you return? God wants us to actually ask. You know, the king said, tell me what you want. And Nehemiah had to tell him, God wants you to ask him. How many times do we just think, oh, well, God knows what I need. I won't ask him. He loves us to pray. You have not because you ask not, James says. So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. So he's asking for authority, for the royal protection. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. You notice how specific he's being. I need timber, I need this, I need that, and I need timber for the walls, for the gates, and for my house. He's very specific. Ask God specific prayers. He longs to give them to you. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, every single thing Jesus told us to ask for in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our day, give us our daily bread, lead us not into temptation, all the things, were things He's already promised us elsewhere in the Bible, but He wants you to ask anyway. Not to beg Him, but because He loves to work in partnership with us. He gets a kick out of saying, ask me and I will give you. But are you asking? And are you asking specifically? And then the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. I have a few points here. First of all, you are favored. You have access into the king. Secondly, you have a Queen Esther sitting next to the king of heaven, making intercession for you. Did you know that? Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, 27, and 34 
says, we don't know how we ought to pray, but the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. He makes intercession for us with groans that words cannot express. He makes intercession according to the will of God. And then in verse 34, it says that Jesus as well, not just the Holy Spirit, but Jesus sits beside the Father and is interceding for us. You have somebody on your side pleading your case. If you will just ask, you will be amazed. You see, the problem is we think, I'm little old Nehemiah. I'm a nobody. Friend, you are a cupbearer to the king. Let me talk about this cup. The cup was the wine. Imagine a golden goblet full of wine. And Nehemiah sips it, and then he gives it to the king. There are so many beautiful pictures here. Number one, wine is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. When we drink the new wine of the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to worship Him, to love Him. He puts His heart within us, His thoughts, His desires. When you go to prayer, you drink in the Holy Spirit. You say, Holy Spirit, I receive you and I'm led by you. And then we pour it out before Him. You remember the woman with the alabaster jar. She came in and worshipped Jesus and she poured the ointment all over Him and then dried His feet with her tears and she wept. She poured her heart out in worship. We come with a bowl, we drink the Holy Spirit, and we pour it out before the Lord. But then there is something so beautiful about this picture of a golden bowl, which are the prayers of the saints. Revelation chapter 5 says this. Verse 8. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and each having a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. In heaven, there are creatures, angelic creatures, which have harps and they have golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Your prayers and my prayers are so precious that they are held in a golden bowl like the wine offered to the king in heaven in, in incense. And it says they're full. It's when the bowl is full that the angel offers it to God. And let's read what happens. Revelation 8, verse 3. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar... He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, so these are your prayers being offered. Now with the bowl full, they now offer them on the altar. They pour them on the altar in front of God. When you pray, your little prayer, you're walking to work or you're driving in your car, you're kneeling by your bed, and you say a prayer for your family member that the city of God might be built in your family and your children might be safe. It's a, it's a piece of golden incense that goes into a, into a bowl. And when that bowl is full, it gets poured on the altar. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. So when the bowl is full, it goes up before God. You know, there is a time period for prayer. Did you know that? Sometimes... Our prayers are answered immediately. And I think the reason is, it's a tiny bowl. It's easy to fill that bowl. There are other times, 
Daniel had to pray for 21 days at one stage. And when the answer came, the angel said, I was sent on day one, but there was opposition. And so you had to keep praying for 21 days. Sometimes that bowl is big and it needs lots of prayer and lots of people to pray before the bowl is full. Don't be discouraged. Keep praying. Imagine you stopped praying when the bowl was just about full. How sad would that be? Then the, uh, the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar. So this is the very altar of God in heaven, the place where God's presence is. They take that thing that had the prayers in, they fill it with fire from heaven and threw it to the earth. This means the answer to your prayers comes down. And there was noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. Friend, your prayers are powerful. Don't be discouraged. You are like Nehemiah. You have exclusive access to the king of the universe. You have Christ and the Holy Spirit making intercession for us in heaven. And you have the privilege of seeing these prayers getting full up in the bowl, being offered to God, and then the answer comes. And in Nehemiah, the answer came in the form of letters. And the king said, here is your authority to go. Did you know you have authority to build the city of God in your life and in your children's life, in your marriage, with your in-laws, with the city you live in, with the church that you're part of? You have authority, friend. Are you using it? God has given you letters in the Bible. There are promises, 7,000 promises in here. And he says, they are letters from me, the king of the universe, to you. Will you use them? And then it wasn't just authority. It was provision. He said, I'm going to give you all the provision that you need, all the wood, everything you need. There are letters of authority for your provision in here. Are you using them to build the city of God in your business? You've been struggling in business. God says, build it according to my principles and my architectural layout, and you'll find it works. Use the promises, the authority. And then lastly, there was pr protection. He sent armies with him, and God has sent protection for you. Luke chapter 10, Jesus said, I give you authority over serpents and scorpions and over all the work of the enemy. Nothing will by any means harm you. But you know what? Nehemiah had to take that letter. He had to go out of the king's presence and he had to go and face Tobiah and Sanballat and Geshem. And he had to fight and he had to persist and resist the enemy with the promises of, of the king. And then victory came. Hebrews 11 and verse 10 is talking about Abraham. And it's, let me read just before that. It says, By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents, with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And then later on in verse 16, talking about not just Abraham, but all the heroes of the faith, it says, Now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. If we could just flip back to verse 10, Hebrews 11, verse 10 on the screen. Abraham had an opportunity to stay in Ur of the Chaldeans, where he was born. An opulent city of the Chaldean Babylonian Empire. Beautiful, rich, luxuriant. 
a, a wonderful, powerful city, but he left and he went to Haran. Then he left Haran and he went and he wandered. He went past Damascus, another great city. He went all the way down to Egypt and he saw the great cities of Egypt. And you know what it says? He was looking for a city with foundations. Didn't Ur have foundations? Didn't Haran have foundations? Didn't Damascus have foundations? Didn't Egypt have foundations? Any foundations that are built on this world's values, money, material things, what the world says is important, are not foundations because they will pass away. The only foundations that are worth anything, worth anything, my friend, are the city of God. There's nothing more valuable, there's nothing more permanent, there's nothing that matters more than building the city of God in your family. Get a vision for your family. Read God's promises and say, God, what do you want for my family, for my marriage, for my parents, for my children, for my cousins, whatever it is. God, what do you want for my business, for my city, for my church, for me? What do you want? Read his promises, go into the presence of the king with the wine and watch God's favor as you go out and use his promises to do warfare. I'm going to ask you to make a decision today to say, I'm going to be a Nehemiah. I'm going to fight. I'm going to get God's authority and I'm going to fight for the city of God. And I'm going to choose to leave all those other things that I've been building and build for God. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.